These are going to be kind of a bittersweet few weeks. If you see Doug hanging around uh, in the next month, would encourage you uh, just to offer a profound debt of thanks and gratitude to him. Um, so we do need Jesus to hold us in this world, which often feels like it's shaking, like the ground is moving. Um, the world would be much simpler if things were all black and white. And of course, that is not the case. Some things are black and white. Like, is it July or August? It's August now. Summer's over. Are you going back to school or not? A lot of you are going back to school, right? All of life is not like that, however. Many things are tensions that need to be observed and managed. Um, any kids here play baseball or volleyball? Anybody? Cool. Is it more important to practice your hitting, either hitting in volleyball or, or your defense? Well, both, right? <laughs> Don't listen to Coach Klein over here. Yeah, yeah. Always, uh, always on the offensive, right? Of course you have to practice both, but maybe you're having a year where you're struggling with your hitting, so you really need to focus on your hitting. But if you're knocking it out of the park all the time but can't feel the ground ball, you might need to work on your defense, right? Different in different seasons, different for different people. Should you focus on your physical technique or your mental game? Both. In which season do you need to focus on? Well, it depends. There's no permanent right answer. We musicians know this too. We play songs, and should the drums be louder or should the piano be louder? The right answer is the piano. No, it, it depends, right? It always depends. Our friends in the technical booth have put together a brilliant little 45-second illustration of how this works with musical faders. You're about to see four instruments and their corresponding volumes on the right side of the screen. Check it out. There's the faders. It's dug on the bass, by the way. Don't turn the drums up. Guitar always has the last word. All right. Do you feel it? There's parts of a song, and it sounds a little different when you move some of the volumes or faders up and down. And in the Christian life, um, there are things that are always important to us, but in different seasons of the church or in our personal lives, we need to push the fader on certain things or dial down certain things. And in the next month, Pastor Jeff and I are going to be exploring with you some of these essential Christian values that are always in tension with each other and what we perceive is being called for in 2023 and 2024 and maybe slightly beyond in terms of what we are emphasizing and maybe what we're de-emphasizing a little bit. So we have the visible part of life and spirituality 
and the invisible part of life and spirituality. And in other weeks, we'll have our individual responsibilities with our shared and community responsibilities. And we'll have the church of Jesus and the kingdom of God. So we'll be exploring what really are we trying to do here together. Now, living in a world where we experience most things through our five senses, we don't have to struggle very hard to be in touch with the visible world. In fact, wired deep into all of our DNA uh, is this expression, seeing is believing. You heard this before? Seeing is, if I can see it, if I can experience it with my senses, then it must be real. If I can't experience it with my senses, well, maybe it's fake news. Even with our babies, we play this game called peekaboo. And if you've ever tried this with a zero-year-old or one-year-old, literally our brains are wired so that when we're babies, if we see it, we're amused and we're laughing, and all you have to do is cover a baby's face and you don't exist. And then you open up their eyes and they giggle and laugh because there you are. And how did this person magically just appear and disappear and reappear. But this is the way babies think about the world, right? I'm going to tell you that I believe what we're being called to do right now is to turn up the volume on the invisible parts of reality and to slightly turn down the volume on what our five senses are telling us all the time. There are invisible things that, of course, we believe in all the time. Who's ever seen an atom here? An atom, not a boy named Adam, an atom. But we believe oxygen exists, right? We believe H2O molecules exist. We've never seen them, but the evidence of their existence is all too clear. Who has ever seen love? Like, as a thing. Like, have you ever, like, that's a bottle full of love. No, we only see the evidence of love or kindness, right? You can't go to the store and buy a box of kindness, but you see the signs of it everywhere. We are going to be turning up the volume on the invisible. Now, knit into God's nature are both of these realities and experiences for us. In the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Here's what God's word says about God himself. This is the apostle Paul writing to an early church, actually to kind of do theology with them and help them understand the nature of God. And Paul says, the son, Jesus, is the image, something you can see, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Is God visible or invisible? Well, yes. Yes. I mean, until Jesus of Nazareth was born, God was simply in terms of our experience as human beings and the people of God, the almighty, invisible, awesome, holy one. But no one had ever seen God face to face. And then God miraculously came into the material world that he created in Jesus. And there was a period of time 2,000 years ago where you could point at a man from Nazareth and say... That is God. Like, this is mind-blowing. God is visible and invisible because he has revealed himself to us this way. 
Now, in our modern world, because it's been 2,000 years, it's kind of easy to write off that God walked among us in the flesh. It's easy to say, oh, Jesus, he was just a wise teacher. He said some great things. He was the nicest dude who ever lived, but I didn't see him, so how could I believe in him? I didn't see him crucified. I didn't see him, like, walk out of the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. Like, you Christians believe this crazy stuff. Like, I would believe it if I could see it. Um, there's this character, Sherlock Holmes. He's been in literature for uh, 125 years. Recently, there's been a more uh, a BBC version of Sherlock played by Benedict Cumberbatch. He is the avatar of the modern world of seeing is believing. Because what does Sherlock Holmes do? Sherlock Holmes is able to see things that other people miss and then solve crimes because the rest of us are asleep at the wheel, but Sherlock is able to perceive the little signs and notice things that are actually there in the material world. One of his most troubling quotes, frankly, is that sentiment or your feeling or your gut or your soul is a chemical defect found on the losing side. Meaning, if you don't live enough through your senses and trust your feelings or feel things, you're a sucker, and you're going to lose every time to Sherlock. I mean, of course, if you watch this show, you realize Sherlock actually has a lot going on in his heart, and he's really trying to keep his feelings uh, underneath his brilliant brain all the time. But many of us have had the experience, maybe that transcends Sherlock, where we have known something, we have known something deep down, that we could not prove on paper or in black and white. Have you had this experience? I know there are some people here who knew the Cubs were going to win a World Series before they died. And then they, they did. Kind of. I don't hear many people talking about that anymore. Um, there was a period years and years ago where... I became convinced as a teenager that my now wife, Sarah, was just the right woman for me. I didn't do the math on it. I mean, I could give you some good reasons or share with you the appeal, but it was like something that I knew deep down. And in our marriage, there have been seasons where we've done some pretty dramatic things, like move across the country a few times, because we felt convicted, like we had a deep down knowing, like we're supposed to move to another state and plant a church. Like, again, I could give you the list that I wrote down of the pros and cons, but ultimately, it's like a knowing that comes from beyond just the rational. And if I can put it this way, one way of summing up what God is asking us to do as followers of Jesus is this, to know and do the will of God. I think there's a pretty great summary of the Christian life, to know and to do the will of God. And of course, there's some knowing that comes directly from the pages of this book, but there's also some knowing that comes from the Holy Spirit working inside us, speaking to us, using our conscience, visible and invisible ways of knowing. Are you open to that? Wouldn't it be nice if every time God wanted us to do something specific to follow him, he just dropped a letter out of heaven, you could like open it up and be like, 
it's a season to consider having another child. It's a season to consider retiring. Like, but God doesn't typically work that way by just dropping something in your mailbox. God uses these invisible uh, senses of ours oftentimes, most oftentimes, to get through to us. And then there's this reality. Good and evil exist, right? Everybody in this room has experienced probably profound doses of both, but good and evil in their essence are more invisible realities that we just see the evidence of in the visible world. And in fact, as Young Jack's awesome video illustrated, like there are angels in the universe. I've never seen one. There are demons and fallen angels in the universe. I have never seen one. And yet the Bible is full of stories of supernatural things that are going on beyond which human beings usually have the sensitivity to see. In fact, one time Satan himself was tempting Jesus uh, and Jesus' response to the temptation of showing off his power and jumping off the edge of the temple is to say, God has untold legions of angels that guard and protect us and keep us from falling. I don't need to do that. And Jesus was quoting Psalm 91 when he said that. There is a story in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 6 where the prophet Elisha and his servant are camped out and a foreign army surrounds them. And the servant, uh, not having uh, quite the faith or the perception of his prophet leader, is like, what are we going to do, Elisha? We're surrounded by this foreign army. And Elisha prays, oh God, will you open my servant's eyes so that he can see the real army that's here? And God opens the eyes of Elisha's servant, and he notices that surrounding the foreign army, there is an untold legion of angels and chariots of fire. That's where that phrase comes from. Chariots of fire. And suddenly the servant realizes, like, we might be outnumbered, humanly speaking, but, like, God has our back in the unseen, invisible realm. Any of our virtues, we can't quite see. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, Similarly, our vices, fear, anxiety, impatience, lust, all of these things, before we manifest them by falling into temptation, there is an invisible world of temptation. We've all had this experience a million times over. Like, it happens invisibly in and around us before we fall into it and bring it to be in the world. Uh, when I was a middle schooler, uh, my teacher introduced me to the writings of C.S. Lewis, actually the entire class, not just me. Best eighth grade class ever. If you're eighth grade teacher out there, kids are not too young to read amazingly deep stuff by seventh and eighth grade. Um, there is one of C.S. Lewis' books called The Screwtape Letters, in which a senior demon, this is all fictional, by the way. However, it's so troubling, it like, should be real. A senior demon named Uncle Screwtape is mentoring his underling demon named Wormwood. I'm going to read just a few quotes 
to give these troubling glimpses of what may or may not be going on in the invisible temptation world around us. Quote number one. My dear Wormwood, be sure that the patient, the human being that you're trying to get to fall, remains completely fixated on politics, arguments, political gossip, and obsessing on the faults of people that they have never met. That serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and the things the patient can control. Wow. Isn't Wormwood doing awesome these days? <laughs> Make sure that the patient is in a constant state of angst, frustration, general disdain towards the rest of the human race in order to avoid any kind of charity, love, or inner peace from further developing. Ensure that the patient continues to believe that the problem is merely out there and in the broken system rather than recognizing that the, there is a problem within himself. Wormwood, keep up the good work. Do you think Satan might be, like, troubling us right now with exactly that sentiment? By the way, he wrote this, like, nearly 80 years ago. Here's another way that Satan is constantly messing with us. Do what you will, Wormwood. There is going to be some benevolence as well as some malice in your patient's soul, right? There's good and evil within all of us. The great thing is to direct the malice, the evil, to his immediate neighbors, whom he meets every day, and to thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumference to people he does not even know. The malice thus becomes real and the benevolence largely imaginary. Meaning this... If Satan can get us to mistreat our family members and neighbors while we can comfort ourselves with like, oh, I support a kid through Compassion International that I've never met, or I really care about what's going on in Western China, but I hate my fellow Americans. Satan is doing great work. Do you feel like Satan might be succeeding in some of these invisible battles right now? And the final one. It does not matter how small the person's sins are, provided their cumulative effect is to edge a person away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than, C.S. Lewis says cards 80 years ago. I say the internet. Murder is no better than the internet, if the internet can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without a sudden turning even without signposts. Rarely does Satan work on us with some kind of massive temptation where we feel like we are selling our entire soul. Satan's way is just to get us tiptoeing step by step into distraction instead of closer and closer into the arms of our Savior. This is where the world of ideas becomes so important. The invisible world of ideas. Usually we feel like we are in possession of our ideas, but if you believe in the invisible world, you realize you can be easily possessed or taken by ideas. You hear what I'm saying here? We think we're in control, in possession of our deepest thoughts, when in fact there are bigger thoughts that sometimes can take possession of us and start steering us in exactly the wrong direction unless we keep our eyes fixed on the invisible God. Colossians 2, 8 through 10 puts it this way. See to it that none of you is taken captive 
through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Paul is saying, take great care that you are not possessed by the wrong ideas and commitments. So how does one do this? How does one guard oneself? To the Ephesian church, Paul writes these words. There's going to be some phrases in yellow that I'd like you to read out loud. Here's what we're being asked to do in the invisible world. Finally, church, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's largely invisible schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against all the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, all this invisible stuff that our five senses miss. Everybody, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. You can do this in your mind or if it would help you to physically like do this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of the salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Is this world really so bad that we need all of this armor? This is my father's world, but it's pretty messed up because of all the brokenness that unseen forces bring in and that the unseen forces trick us into ushering in. This armor uh, implies that we might be playing defense all the time, but that is not the case. We need some protection because here's the thing about evil and all the devil's wiles. They're not very resilient. If you can have enough armor to wait the devil out for a season, the devil is not strong enough or persistent enough or frankly interested enough in any of us to keep at it all the time. I mean, if the devil can trick us into our own habits, our own addictions, our own compulsions, then the devil can stop working. Right? Because he's just fooled us into doing his bidding all the time. But this armor helps us wait the devil out. In fact, Jesus says this about the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sometimes we think it's like hell has a battering ram and like the gates are the church. But it's exactly the opposite. It's the gates of hell and the kingdom of God is battering down the gates of hell. So we need armor to resist temptation, to wait the devil out, but you can be sure if you're walking with the Lord, he's also going to give you proactive, forward-looking offense to do. Offense, Klein. Aggressive things. All right. (laughs) We are being called, I believe, in this season, in our world that is obsessed 
with the visible and what we can see and touch, our material world, to turn up the knob on the invisible part of our experience and our spirituality altogether. In this new school year for kids, in a new season ahead for our church, we're about to turn 75 years old in 2024. That's getting pretty old for a human, but by God's grace, there's still a lot of life left in our church. Power, spiritual power and protection and offense are not going to primarily come from the things that we can see and lay our hands on. Our work, our degrees, our good minds, our productivity, our dollars, those are all good gifts that come from God, and we're going to utilize those as best we can, Lord willing, in our personal lives and our lives altogether. But when we turn up the volume on the invisible things, on Holy Spirit wisdom, on Holy Spirit knowledge, on the ability to discern God's will so we can know and do what God is asking us in this current season, the invisible part of our lives that is our desire to please God, our invisible gratitude that ought to be springing forth like a deep, deep well of living water from within us, and above all, the life of prayer when we turn up the energy on all of those invisible things, that is when kingdom of Jesus' life starts to really flourish. And won't you love to be part of something like that? I want to be part of something like that. To help us just in this moment transcend our senses, I can invite us to close our eyes, and be quiet. You don't need to think anything deeply. Just be aware that as your ears and eyes don't need to take anything in, that God is still at work. There's a whole world at work beyond our senses. Oh God, give us eyes to truly see and give us ears to truly hear. For Jesus' sake, amen. Friends, we're going to come to Jesus' table now. Uh, there are going to be visible signs for you to see, to eat, to experience, but that's not where the action is on the literal bread and juice. The real action is on the unseen spiritual reality that Jesus is giving us his very self.